So if you've got your Bibles there today, we're in John chapter 19. We're going to pick up the story from verse 17. This is what God's Word says. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took, off his, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by a lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the body the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Hey, um, yeah, so like I said, it, um, yeah, it's great that you're joining us. Um, yeah, it is Good Friday. And thank you for inviting us into your living room. And so uh, before we uh, jump into yeah, looking at chapters 18 and 19 together from John's gospel, let's... Um, yeah, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that as uh, we get to just slow down now on this yes, Friday morning, a Friday, um, a good Friday, Father, that is like no other, that is unique. Father, we feel how weird it is um, not to be together, particularly on this day, because Good Friday is a day about how you have welcomed us back into relationship with you, that there's no more distance and isolation from you, and so... Father, as we sit here distant and isolated from one another, Father, we, we grieve that, but Lord, we just pray that as we look at Jesus, as we sit with him, 
and take a fresh look at him, to respect him, to look again, uh, that you would comfort our hearts um, with the truth that you were with us. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I don't know about you um, and your neighbourhood, but how has your neighbourhood been, I suppose, trying to recapture uh, the sense of community? (coughs) For Sarah and I and our neighbourhood, you know, we've felt this. People have been, you know, putting bookstalls out on their footpaths so that people who are stuck at home and don't have anything to read uh, can go grab a book. Uh, We've seen people get creative um, on their driveways and footpaths outside their homes um putting like a beautiful artwork of like kind of helpful and hopeful um quotes and uh people have actually kind of also started like kind of community facebook pages so we can stay connected to each other and uh other people have been really getting into this uh this teddy bear hunt where they've been putting uh, teddy bears in uh their home windows so that as families go for their walks they can take their kids on teddy bear hunts um it's wonderful. And, and so I wonder, um, have you seen houses in your street, um, in your neighbourhood, that have been kind of getting into this teddy bear hunt, putting teddy bears in their windows for the families um, yeah, in, in your community? There's one particular house uh, for Sarah and I and Hosea. Uh, they have gone all out. They've really gotten into this. They've put a teddy bear nearly in every window that you can see from the path. And so um, it's on the way uh, on our morning walk to our local coffee shop. And so one morning we were coming back with, you know, takeaway coffees in hand, um, and we're coming to this house, and we see this car coming towards us. Um, but it's going really slow. It's almost kind of stopped dead in the middle of the road. And there um, is a mother and her young daughter in the car kind of peering out, leaning over the driver's side window, looking at this house. Um, can we assume, though, that, hey, Here's this mum taking her daughter on a teddy bear hunt on the way to school. It was just it was a really sweet moment. But as we kind of met the car outside this house, Sarah turned to the mum and said, teddy bear hunting. And the mum turns and goes, well, no, we're just trying to see my dad. We're trying to see papa or grandpa. Um, and in that moment, it hit me. Here's this mother and her daughter not trying to go on a teddy bear hunt, Um, they're actually trying to go on a grandpa hunt, not because he was missing, but because of COVID-19, they just haven't been with him for so long. They're looking, um, well, she's looking for her dad. This little girl is looking for uh, her grandpa. And this physical distance and isolation, you know, it is something that we all uh, experience and feel. And we all share this kind of unwanted, uh, uncomfortable, this almost unnatural uh, experience of being physically isolated and distant from one another. But even if we're not actually physically distant from each other, you might be living with family or friends, um, even though we might not be alone, we can actually feel lonely. Even though we might not be physically distant, we can actually feel relational distance from one another. And for me, in these moments... I, I get a glimpse at myself, at my words and thoughts and feelings and actions that come out from within uh, that distance myself from others. I see and I hear um, things that I don't always like or that are not always good. And so there's this other uncomfortable, deeper isolation and distance and separation 
um, of who I really am um, compared to who I would like to think that I am. And I'm kind of forced or confronted with the question, is this really Ryan? Is this really me? Um, and if it is, this isn't good. And although we kind of share this unique and uncomfortable and unwanted experience of yeah, this, this physical isolation and distance, our skill uh, to kind of create this relational isolation, isolation and distance from one another seems to be just so natural to us, like blinking and breathing. But it's not just in our, uh, our relationships with one another that we kind of experience this relational distance and isolation. It, it, we actually experience this um, in our relationship with God. We don't just distance and uh, isolate ourselves from others. We actually distance and isolate ourselves from God too. And just like uh, blinking and breathing comes so naturally to us, so comes so naturally our choice uh, to distance and isolate ourselves from God. In fact, this is what the Bible uh, talks about when it uses the word sin. Sin is this natural ability that we have, not only to create this relational distance and isolation from others, uh, but to create this isolation and distance between us and God. And just like in our relationships, this isn't good. Um, so it is with our relationship with God. It's not good. It impacts us. It robs us of the joy of being in a relationship with the ones we love. It robs us of being uh, in a relationship of the God who made us and, and loves us. And it's not good. But what God shows us, though, in the unfolding story of the Bible uh, is that he has actually moved towards people like us. He's actually moved towards sinful people like you and me who have distanced and isolated ourselves from him. And so the big question, though, is how does God uh, act towards us as he moves towards us? How does God actually deal with us or deal with our sin? And so the answer to this is actually at the heart of why Good Friday is so good. So let's take a look at the place in the Bible, or a place in the Bible, uh, that shows us how God moves towards us and how he deals with us and our sin. And the place that we turn to um, is the place that we, we read out together in the Bible, the, the Gospel of John, one of the, one of the four Gospels that tell us about Jesus' life. And if you've been with us at Southside for the beginning of the year, kind of we've been spending a lot of time in John's Gospel, and we're told that in Jesus Christ... God is moving towards us. In Jesus, God comes to us, uh, to us sinful people, people who, who distance and isolate ourselves uh, from him. But how does Jesus actually act towards us? Well, uh, let's uh, see how Jesus actually deals with those who choose to distance and isolate, himself, uh, isolate themselves from him in chapters 18 and 19. Because at every point uh, in these two chapters, the day of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, people uh, again and again distance and isolate themselves from Jesus. Again and again, Jesus feels the sting. Jesus knows what it's like to have people distance and isolate themselves from him. He knows who we are. And he knows what we're doing at these moments. And it all starts in the very early hours of the morning uh, in chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, with Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, coming to betray Jesus. Judas comes to the garden where he knows Jesus is, where Jesus has been praying, and he's coming guiding a detachment of soldiers, officials uh, from the Jewish religious leaders, carrying torches, weapons uh, to arrest Jesus. We're told in Luke's gospel, Judas comes to Jesus um, and, and he greets Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus 
says to Judas, Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? Jesus knows. And so just like our little moments when we're confronted with what we say, what we do, that relationally distance and isolate ourselves from one another, this is a moment like a mirror for us, a mirror for Judas. Is this you? And so Jesus' question to Judas, Judas, would you betray me with a kiss? It's like Jesus holding up a mirror. Is this you, Judas? Next, uh, Peter, another one of Jesus' disciples, but one of Jesus' closest friends too, follows Jesus um, as he's arrested and taken to the high priest's court. And he watches on as he waits outside. But it's not long until he's noticed and he's asked the question, aren't you one of this man's disciples? I'm not, Peter says. But again, it's not long until Peter is asked twice more the same question. Aren't you one of this man's disciples? And both times, Peter says, and isolates and distances himself from Jesus with the words, I am not. And again, in Luke's Gospel, we're also told that at these words kind of coming out of Peter's mouth, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And it's in that look that Jesus knows. And the look is like a mirror to Peter going, Peter, is this really you? But it's not just Jesus' disciples and closest friends who distance and isolate themselves from Jesus, uh, but God's own people do. The Jews or, or Israel, God's Old Testament people, choose to distance and isolate themselves from Jesus. Again, we said Jesus is brought to the, the Jewish religious leaders under the cover of darkness and he's unfairly tried uh, before the Jewish courts. And Jesus is saying, look, if I've, if I've said anything wrong, look, if I've said anything in secret, but I haven't. I've been open. I've been honest. I haven't hidden anything from you. And at this, the soldier standing next to Jesus punches him. That's right. He punches Jesus. It's shocking. And Jesus turns to him and says, if, I have, if I've lied, if I have said something that's not true, why do you hit me? But the Jews bring uh, Jesus before Pilate, this, the Roman governor, seeking to have him killed. Pilate asks, look, it's a custom that I release to you one of the prisoners. Uh, do you want me to release to you Judas? But preferring to have a criminal and a murderer set free, the Jews cry out, no, not Jesus, give us Barabbas. Barabbas was a, a robber, a murderer. And John holds up this question at the end. Jesus is silent, but John makes the comment, Barabbas uh, he was a robber and a murderer. He holds up the mirror to the Jews. Is this really you? And finally, Pilate, uh, knowing that Jesus is innocent, uh, knowing that Jesus is innocent, uh, sorry, and wanting to let Jesus go, um, yet at the words, "If you let Jesus go, you are no friend of Caesar." And he bows to the political pressure and hands Jesus over uh, to be crucified. And so, riding along here with Jesus, we can, we can empathize with Jesus um, because we know what it's like to feel this sting of sin, to feel the sting of others distancing and, and isolating uh, themselves uh, from us. But at the same point, uh, Jesus is so different. When we see, or when I see Jesus, and when I see what he's doing, when I see how Jesus 
chooses to act towards these people. Um, I am confronted with a life, with a person that I just don't know. I have no idea. I've never seen this before. No one has shown me this kind of life before in my life. Because if we think about it, how would we respond in a situation like this? Without thinking, like blinking and breathing, we'd probably fight fire with fire. We'd respond in kind by distancing and isolating ourselves from them, but not Jesus. He continues to relate. He continues to move towards them. He continues to love. He continues to go to the cross. And so what does this show us about how Jesus deals with us, how he treats us, how he, he uh, deals with our sin? Well, it shows us that Jesus, knowing us, knowing what we're doing, uh, moves towards us. He doesn't isolate or distance himself from us. He continues to relate to us. He continues uh, to love us. He continues to go to the cross uh, for you and me. And here's where Jesus is different. Because although uh, Jesus felt the, the effects of sin, Jesus never sinned. He never distanced or isolated himself from God in these moments. Moments that would be so tempting to do so. And we get a window into this in John 16, verse 32. Jesus gives us a window into his heart and into his relationship with God when he says, A time is coming, and in fact uh, has come, when you will be scattered, talking to his disciples, each to his own home. You will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. But this is why the cross, this is why the crucifixion of Jesus, this is why Jesus' death is just so shocking. Because although Jesus never distanced and isolated himself uh, from God, as Jesus hangs on the cross, as Jesus is nailed there, he is left there, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So why, why in this moment does God distance and isolate himself from Jesus? Why does God forsake Jesus? Why would Jesus feel the distance and isolation, the absence of God in this moment? When Jesus has never actually done anything to deserve it. Well, what happened to what happened between Jesus and Barabbas earlier on in the story helps us, it gives us a lens through which to see what is happening on the cross for Jesus. Because although Barabbas was most certainly the guilty one, Jesus most certainly was the innocent one. Although Barabbas deserved uh, to be put on the cross, Jesus didn't. Yet it was Jesus who took the place of Barabbas. Jesus was exchanged uh, for him. And we see that played out in verses uh, 39 and 40. Let me read them to remind us of this. Uh, Pilate saying, It's your custom for me to release to you one of the prisoners at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release to you uh, Jesus, the King of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Jesus uh, is exchanged for Barabbas. The innocent is exchanged for the guilty. The righteous is exchanged uh, for the sinner. Jesus will die. Barabbas will go free. And this exchange is God uh, counting the personal cost for our sin. This is God forgiving us. This is God cancelling the debt by paying it himself. This is God putting away his anger towards our sin. 
Because on the cross, when Jesus hung there on the cross, God, uh, God's anger towards our sin was taken by Jesus. Jesus took the consequences. Jesus suffered the isolation and distance from God. On the cross, Jesus was treated as one of us, of one of those who willfully distanced and isolated themselves from him. On the cross, Jesus stood in our place. He paid the penalty that we deserved uh, for our sin so that we could have the potential of a life of intimacy and connection and closeness with God, to have a relationship with him, a relationship that we were made to have. And in John's Gospel, the words that uh, John records of Jesus on the cross are different words, though. Jesus, the words that uh, John records that Jesus spoke on the cross uh, is, it is finished. But what does Jesus mean? What is finished? Well, Jesus cries out on the cross that what he came to do, he's done it. He cries out to all who will hear, to all who will see, to all who will receive him, look, I've taken away your sin. Look how much I love you. Look, I've given myself for you. Look, there's nothing. There's no longer anything that is keeping you from God. I wonder how you would feel or how you would respond to, to kind of tapping out of this, uh, this, this Good Friday service with us and finding on your Facebook feed uh, the news from uh, the Prime Minister uh, that COVID-19, it's finished. <laughs> your home isolation is done, dusted, it's finished. The physical distance, finished. I, personally, it'd be great. I'd love that. It'd be good news. I'd be... Getting Sarah and Jose in the car would be shooting up the Sunshine Coast to Coolon Beach, sit at the beach, coffee, book, reading, all day. That's what I'd be doing. That's what I'd want to do. But the thing is, as good as that would be, and it, and it would be really good, um, we need to remember that our physical distance, our physical isolation at this moment is one thing. But our relational isolation and distance from one another, and particularly from God, is another because even if COVID-19 is finished, we'd still, we'd still experience the sting of relational distance. We would still feel the sting of death. We would still feel the sting of sin. Because it's only Jesus, it's only the cross of Christ that can take away our sin. It's only at the cross where God proclaims it is finished. Sin, its effects, death, relational isolation, it's done. Because God re relentlessly and personally pursues us in giving himself for us, he calls us to give ourselves to him. In giving himself for us, God opens up the door for us to move towards him, to move into a relationship uh, with him. God ha has made the first move. So what would a like or what does a life look like for us if my isolation and distance or sin uh, has been dealt with. Well, I think it looks like one thing at least for us right now, that as we, in our relationship with God, know that it's not based on our performance or even how we feel. So when we are faced with that gap, when the mirror is held up to us, when we get a glimpse of who we are and the gap between who we would like to be, and we see that it is not good, we need to grasp and plead Jesus. We need to remind ourselves and say to ourselves, you might be right. 
I am worse than I ever thought, but Jesus. You might be right. I am alone. I am abandoned, but Jesus. You might be right. It might be too late for me, but Jesus. You might be right. I am out of reach, but Jesus. You might be right. I am a sinner, but Jesus. You know, you know I might be right. You might be right. I'm not good, but Jesus. We plead not ourselves, but Christ. Not our strength, but Jesus' strength. Not our goodness, but Jesus' goodness. Not our weakness, but Jesus' mercy. Because our problem is, and the mistake we make, is that when we're faced with ourselves, when we're faced with the, the not good that's in us, it's easy for us and it's tempting for us to feel that this keeps us from God and it keeps us from one another rather than seeing that this is a moment for us to grasp onto Jesus, to come to the foot of the cross and abide in God's love for us. Our inability to, to cure, to fix, to, to eradicate uh, our sin must lead us to Jesus. In our brokenness, we mustn't avoid him, pretending that we're not that needy, but honestly grasp onto and hold on to Jesus. These moments are the moments that we embrace the proclamation that God made at the cross. It is finished. But what might this look like uh, for us in our relationship as we continue uh, to, to bring to bear perhaps or, or see how is Good Friday useful for me in this uh, moment right now in my relationship with others? Well, it's interesting. Uh, the story of Harry Potter. Um, Harry had a scar. He was marked. What put that mark there, though, was the sacrificial and loving act of his mother protecting him from death. This mark, though, it wasn't just simply a scar for Harry. It was a, a mark of his character. It was a mark of who he was and what he did. Harry would actually live a life that reflected or was marked by sacrificial love. Because when we experience sacrificial love, it marks us. And so for those who believe in Jesus, for those of us who, who say that we have experienced and know the sacrificial love of Jesus, it leaves a mark. And, it should, and as we seek to live a life that reflects the same sacrificial love that we have experienced from Jesus. So this is pretty much what Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. He goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when we experience this, this relational distance and isolation from um, those who we're with at the moment, whether that's because of something you've done or should have done or whether that's because of something somebody else has done or something they should have done, uh, we, knowing that we've experienced the love of Jesus on the cross, can move towards uh, one another, whether that's seeking to forgive, knowing that before God... Um, we are forgiven or extending forgiveness because we know that we've been forgiven. Remember the, the story of the mother and um, the daughter trying to see their, their father or grandpa, um, just trying to, to get a glimpse because COVID-19, um, yeah, it's kept them at a distance, kept them isolated uh, from him. And so just like the impact that COVID-19 has on this family and has on us with our relationships, and we can see uh, 
that sin actually keeps us at a distance, uh, not only from one another, but particularly from God. But because of Jesus, that distance, that isolation, it's taken away. The reason for that is no longer there anymore. And so Jesus takes us by the hand and kind of takes us in, inside the door, into the room, into relationship with God, because he's taken away our sin. And so that is why Good Friday is so good. Um, What makes it good is because of how God has acted towards us, how he's moved towards us in Jesus and and shown us his sacrificial love. And and we see that most clearly displayed um, on the cross where Jesus uh, loves us, forgives us and opens up um, the potential for all of us uh, to have a a new and renewed and restored loving uh, relationship with, with God. And, uh, and that's why it's so good. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to uh, watch a video together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this good news. Thank you that although many of us right now might feel as though that you're distant from us, feel as though that our sin keeps us from you, um, Father, thank you that you speak to us right now. It is finished. And so, Father, I pray that each of us would hear your words speak uh, into our hearts, that your cry would resonate deeply within. It is done. It is finished. And that we can be with you and know that we can be with you without fear or worry because you've shown us how much you love us. You've moved towards us again and again, not in judgment, Father, but to save us, to bring us back to you. And so, Father, we just pray that this Good Friday even though there's so much that's not good right now, that this, Father, would bring a sense of goodness, of rightness, of love uh, to our hearts that might be feeling fearful, sad, or anxious, or worried. Because, Father, we know that your love, uh, you say, casts out fear, and that you give us a spirit um, that, Father, causes us to cry out to you in love our Father, Abba. And so, Father, right now, thank you that we get to sit here knowing that we can be with you and that we are with you because of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.